0: Welcome to Recalculating, Adventist Life Now. So let's get started. The topic today is evangelism. I have two persons who we're talking to today. One, Sean Brace, who pastors uh, up in Central Maine. What a beautiful place. And the other, Scott Christiansen, who lives in Central Maine, but has the joy of serving a fellowship of congregations in the particular traditional context of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm gonna start with Sean, Pastor Brace. Sean, um, we're happy to have you today. Welcome and share a bit of your personal and vocational journey with us. Sean?
1: Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. It's really exciting to be with you. Uh, just a brief thumbnail sketch, I'm a native New Englander, grew up in Massachusetts, uh, have lived here basically my whole life, um, spent a little time at Andrews University for my training, and uh, then I've been pastoring in northern New England uh, for, oh man, almost like 15 years now. Uh, been in New Hampshire, Vermont, now I'm in Bangor, Maine and uh, pastoring a congregation here that is um, growing and trying to figure things out as uh, pertinent to what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited and um, have a wife and three lovely children
0: you must enjoy uh mountains ocean at uh, central maine that's a beautiful place sean
1: yes we're really blessed we're just an hour from acadia national park and then about an hour and a half from baxter state park where mount katahdin the northern terminus of the appalachian trail is so we're we're good centrally located to some beautiful locations
0: pastor brace has uh, contributed to the faith community not only those who who may be a part of our particular faith family but for all of us who are followers of jesus three books pursued by a relentless god there's more to jesus and waiting at the altar sean are you in the midst of a fourth writing project right now
1: Oh, I I should be, but I'm not. Uh, I've taken a little bit of a break from writing books. Uh, I'm writing just little articles every once in a while for different publications, but I'd really uh, in the near future like to write another book on um, kind of some of the ideas that we're going to be talking about today, but I haven't put pen to paper quite yet for that.
0: Good to uh, have you with us, Sean. Scott, Scott Christianson. you're with us today. Scott, I'd like for you to share something of your personal uh, journey and your vocational life. Go ahead, Scott.
2: Well, the two, of course, are intertwined as they tend to be. Uh, The personal journey is I grew up in uh, Southern California. And was raised was raised, raised an Adventist. Uh, good parents raised me well, um, and completely left all of that after high school. Just uh, didn't want uh, any more of the Adventist community. Didn't want any more of the Adventist culture. Didn't didn't want to be constrained, I guess, restrained. Um, and it wasn't for three or four years. Uh, until my journey led me back to Christ. And it, that, was, that was a wonderful thing because I had confused culture and community with Christ. And so wow. I had the, the clarifying experience of coming back to Christ and, and differentiating between Christ and community. It was a good thing. Um, after that, I married an amazing woman and set off on an adventure uh, by any standard. We we went to work among the Navajo Indians at a little place called La Mission and engaged in uh, mission and ministry there. Um, went from there to Mongolia where we set up the uh, Adventist Development and Relief Agency Office, that's ADRA. Uh, started the ADRA work in Mongolia, lived there for five years, which was a profound, <laughs> profound experience. And, um, Uh, Lots of ups, lots of downs. Incredibly difficult. And then we we went right next door. We went to China and uh, started the Adra work there. And we are in China for for three years before returning. Um, Along the way, in the midst of that adventure, we we had uh, three kids as well as adopted a daughter in Mongolia. So we ended up with four. Uh, Moved from China to uh, Western Maine, of all places. And uh, I live in a very rural area. Um, And here I am, the evangelist for the Northern New England Conference, which I still think was, uh, due to a clerical error, I expect our president to walk into my office any day and say, Scott, we've made a huge mistake, uh, because I do not have pastoral training. And yet, my ADRA training, my project training... My um, development training, I find, serves me very well in this situation. So mm-hmm. I've worn a number of different hats, but uh, since since going to work among the Navajo, all of the hats had to do with God's calling. So that's me.
0: Scott, you, you have uh, been in various uh, cultural contexts, You have seen life in various economic situations and a focus of your service has been um, addressing uh, people through the real needs of their experience. Many of our people who are listening to this conversation today uh, know that ADRA focuses on serving basic needs of human life. Many of our people listening to this conversation may say, oh, I need to look up at what ADRA is. It's it's basically an organization that that looks at community needs and a particular culture and tries to fill them in a way to lift life and give people an opportunity. So I think it's I think it's really Good that you're with us today in this conversation not not only because of a positional responsibility and a collection, a conference, as our tradition calls it of congregations and communities, but because of that focus on service now, I also want to point out, Scott that you too have exercised that discipline of writing and contributed a book, Planet in Distress. I find it interesting that you live in a forested rural area, mountains in Maine. It shows a great deal of love for the environment and the outdoors, and you've contributed a book in that area. But hey, let's let's move along now in the conversation. So I'm going to ask each of you and I'll begin with Scott this time. I wanna ask each of you to simply define evangelism as you see it in your mind. We're going to be talking about the cultural context and about the relevancy of process, but first, let's just take a missiological, if you will, definition of what evangelism means. Scott, let's start with you. Continue, Scott.
2: Well, evangelism, in my view, is the proclamation of Christ, uh, crucified and raised, and the articulation of Christ's kingdom, a kingdom of love, Uh, a kingdom of love that we cannot understand without examining Christ's life. Understanding Christ, understanding his kingdom should be transformational. Um, so, proclaiming proclaiming Christ and his love and his kingdom in a way that connects with people and allows the Holy Spirit to achieve transformation, that, in my view, is um, evangelism. Mm-hmm.
0: That was helpful Scott. I noted two things. I think all of us did in listening to that Christ-centered and Transformational it suggests that if one comes to understand God through His manifestation of Christ in Christ that it transforms life Uh, Sean, can you weigh in on that? this idea of justifying evangelism.
1: Well, I think both of you guys have covered it pretty well. I, I would probably just simply define it as sharing the gospel or the good news of what God has done for us in Christ in both word and deed. And I know, you know, uh, literally speaking in the biblical text, evangelism, Evangelion has this proclamation primarily in mind but i think um you know if we take a a larger uh view of it that it has also to do with deed as well as words so it's Ah. it's both living and proclaiming the good news of god's love i would say
0: and sean you're adding uh an element that is worthy in the remaining minutes of our conversation for us to be sure and touch in that it it's more than the announcement of the word. It is in the way we live, our ethics, the way we relate, which is is kind of challenging, um, and and I want us to kind of keep this in the background, and it will surface, I think, in our conversation, that in our faith tradition, which is not unlike the journey of many other Christian faith bodies, uh, especially in America, especially that may have been birthed out of the New England context, the focus tends to be on the content of the uh, faith in terms of belief, how you, how you identify, uh, how do I avoid the word teaching doctrine, you see, what the doctrine is. You're saying there's uh, a, a context of relating. Now, how do we do that, uh, Scott and Sean? And Sean, I'll ask you, you know, to continue the thought and then I want Scott to weigh in too, but Sean, um, we're in a context in New England. Uh, You know this very well. You've been serving as a pastor of congregations in New England. Pew Research Center described uh, New England as a place that's the least religious, um, I think, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, and Pew's research came out as the four most non-religious states uh, in the United States. And they look at things like religious observances, worship attendance, personal prayer, uh, the articulation and response of belief in a God, and the importance of religion in one's life. The Barna Institute came out with the same findings when it identified six of the 10 most secular, quote unquote, secular places in the United States, cities being cities in New England, Portland, Maine being number one. So we have this situation where where you two ministers quite different from Florida, or Alabama, and I want—I I think there's a unique challenge that might reveal a larger challenge in what evangelism is, uh, if if we explore that. Sean, uh, what do you think? Pick that up for a moment.
1: I actually think it's a very very exciting challenge for a number of reasons, and I find. Of course, I was raised here, so I'm, I'm very used to this culture, and I, I, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of it, um, but I think it's an exciting challenge because I think it forces us to kind of go back to what I would call authentic Christianity, and I think for uh, many years, you know, centuries, uh, even millennia, um, we have sort of just utilized Uh, Methods or approaches that make sense to other Christians because the majority of the Western world was Christian, quote-unquote, already. And so, you know, we we maybe thought that the only task we had to do was to simply, um, you know, didactically train people in the right information. And now we come to a context here in New England and it's increasing in the other parts of the West. Um, Of course, Europe is already way beyond where we are, but uh, it's forcing us to realize that people aren't just looking for right information, they're looking for transformation, they're looking for, you know, why it's relevant to them, they're looking for, you know, relational connection uh, that goes beyond simply speaking the words and actually living them out. So, um, you know, it is a challenge, but I've, I've honestly found in, especially in the last few years as I have kind of reoriented my own ministry that most people most secular people that I interact with um, are not, are actually pretty open to spirituality and when for example when I when they find out that I'm a pastor they'll say oh my goodness you're a pastor I, I, I had no idea because they sort of have this image in their minds as to what a religious person is and when you just relate to them as fellow human beings who are on a journey, then you know they're they're a lot more open to it. Um, so I, I find wow. it refreshing and really a neat opportunity to to truly be God's people.
0: So you're not uh, interpreting the cultural context as much as a barrier. Uh, Perhaps you're seeing it as an opportunity and you're also seeing it as a time in which we need to say to ourselves, uh, how are we going about doing this, uh, moving forward, I should say, in this missional challenge of evangelism? Yeah, that's interesting. Scott, uh, your thoughts on this cultural context issue?
2: Well, you know, the thing about ADRA people is that they want to go where the problems are and they want to wrestle with those problems. And so having some ADRA in my DNA, um, I'd rather be here than just about any place else. The thing about wrestling with big problems is even a little bit of progress looks huge and is celebrated, you know. so. Um, But 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 truly, though, if you take a look at the landscape, what you find is that people, while they may not be religious, that doesn't mean they're not spiritual and it doesn't mean they're not looking. Uh, They have rejected church. Yes. um, And that poses a particular challenge for a church that is trying to uh, evangelize this population. And yet, if your mind is open and if the minds of your fellow workers and and church members and leaders are also open, it is is very easily possible to proclaim Christ and his kingdom without doing so from a church platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Finding ways to proclaim this vibrant message finding ways to connect with people uh finding ways to solve the problem is fascinating it's rewarding it's um addicting <laughs> you know for lack of a better yes. word so yeah. um i find the i find the environment to be stimulating and i find opportunities to be absolutely abundant
0: Ah, yeah, very good. Uh, So uh, there's a sense of agreement there. Sean, I'm going to ask you to follow up on the thoughts that you um, expressed about relevancy. I'd like for us to uh, ask how relevant to people outside our community of faith uh, the church might be Um, and and to— you know, kind of think about, reflect with us how we deal with that question of relevancy. Well, I
1: I, I think, you know, listening to what Scott was saying, I, I maybe would not correct him, but um, just use terminology that I think may be more helpful in the sense that, you know, he says that society around us has rejected church. And I found that, that's not quite true um because it all depends on how we define church and um so like i think society has largely secular society new england um has largely rejected church as an event that one attends once a week and listens to someone share a monologue and so yeah like a lot of people are not Uh, finding that to be very relevant and um, so but if we redefine I don't maybe not redefine but if we understand that the definition of church is a body of a community of people who are seeking to experience community together and make a tangible difference in the world then I find that most people I interact with actually are very open to and interested in that so i actually assume like when i'm meeting with people like i just met with a young man i've been meeting with a young man recently who is um he was raised in uh, a catholic faith but um as he's gotten older he's he's become more spiritual but not religious and uh the things that we talk about are just extremely interesting and i i just sat there and i said man would you would totally dig our church and um you know i I shared that with him and he he's been very intrigued and interested by it so he you know he, he has a secular worldview but i assume that many people are looking for the things that authentic church actually offers uh but it's just a matter of us re uh framing in our minds what what church is
0: so the problem isn't church. The problem is the traditional nature of church. Now, <laughs> I, uh, I, that brings up a whole issue of tradition and the challenge of change. What do you think would provide within our own hearts and lives, Sean, a sense of the willingness to ask ourselves? Or maybe wh- what do you do when somebody says to you, Sean, well, listen, You are a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, this this would be true of you are a Presbyterian. This is the way you do church. You are a Baptist. This is the way you do church. And if you depart from that tradition, you're not faithful to church. So let people fall where they may. We must be true to church. How do you relate to that?
1: Oh man, I get that question quite a bit. Not as much recently, but um, yeah, I mean, I I would just, first of all, it starts with the gospel. Are you clear on what the gospel is? Are you clear on what the good news of God's love is that liberates us from fear of change? Number two, I would invite that person just in our own faith community, go back to our early days as Seventh-day Adventists, and you'd probably be surprised with how they understood church, uh, you know, in that, in those times, because it's drastically different than what we do now, so it's just being faithful to our own heritage, and then number three, I would, you know, I would point to our own uh, uh, body of beliefs, you know, our 28, we have 28 fundamental beliefs, and I would just say, familiarize, familiarize yourself with that, because i that many uh, of our own uh, maybe more traditional Seventh-day Adventists um, are are thinking that we have about 50 or 100 fundamental beliefs and I like to point out to them that you know our particular uh, congregation we are sold out to our body of beliefs and you know we're not interested in taking any away but we're not interested in adding any more. so and then you know lastly of course I would just say go back to the Bible and and, you know, what does scripture say? It has very little to say about the uh, everyday, you know, ecclesiology, the, you know, the, the order of service or how one is supposed to conduct a religious uh, ceremony, you know, it just so, so, you know, those are the types of things that I point out to people.
0: Now, that's skillfully said, uh, it's so true, but skillfully said as a pastor and, In my context now, I end up being a little more blunt and saying, (laughs) uh, Look, it's not the church. It's not the organization. It's Christ. Mm -hmm. We have church because God has called us and we are followers of Jesus. So it's Jesus first, and then the organization is simply our fellowship. It's temporal, it moves, it progresses. It's the way we go about doing mission in any context or place we uh, we ask, we listen to we adapt because Scott, like you said, like you said earlier, Scott, it's about Jesus, so Scott, what's your thinking on this relevancy issue here?
2: Well, I think I'll springboard a little bit off of um uh, th- some things that Sean, as you say, so skillfully said, you know i I I look at the landscape, I look at the 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 profound need that this world has for Christ and I look at the ability of our fellowship of believers organization if you will but really our fellowship of believers uh, uh, to to proclaim Christ and what I find is that at least in terms of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in New England Northern New England specifically, um, we've gotten away from living out our evangelism. And we've become a bit okay. cocooned mm. to the point where we are more comfortable sharing our culture than the message of Christ.
0: Mm.
2: And I think that, yeah. that I think that this church. This fellowship of believers, this movement, really is the word. this movement will be reinvigorating when we uh, are willing to look away from our culture and look completely to Christ and proclaim him uh, we've We've actually gotten far enough away in practice that uh, we're, we''re we're confused between proclaiming culture and proclaiming Christ. Uh, now, that's a very blunt message, and uh, perhaps I should be uh, uh, a bit more circumspect, but it's what I believe to be true.
0: Yeah, uh, Scott, you're, you're describing a distinction between um, evangelism as presenting the church and evangelism as sharing the gospel. Now, I am blessed in the culture of the faith movement that I'm a part of, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I am blessed with the joy of how the transformational uh, effect of a relationship with Jesus leads me to consider my Life circumstance, uh, my my lifestyle, my worship. I, I celebrate a, a, the beauty of Sabbath experience and rest. All these, all these things are blessings and a sense of eternity being secure in Jesus. This is a joyful blessing, but yeah, it can become uh, the message is t- so severely that it could obliterate the focus on Jesus, which I, I, I it leads me to a point in the conversation I, I would like the two of you to kind of reflect on. Now Scott, what do, you, what do you think? I don't want you to get in trouble, Scott, <laughs> because we are blessed by uh, what I would refer to as traditions of event-focused evangelism, that surface out of the second wave of the advent awakening in the 19th century where great event meetings for the public were held to proclaim the imminence of the return of Jesus and have actually formed the core and content of evangelistic word and event so that I, I have had uh, conversations with local church leaders and I have said casually in a foyer of a church "How how is evangelism progressing in this church and there'll be a response like well we're doing evangelism this fall <laughs> it always chuckles me I, it causes me to chuckle inside of course I'm careful about my response maybe I'm too careful you see because I end up saying But the way we live our life every moment, every day, is evangelism. It's not an event. It's a relationship we build outside of our own sheltered context. Am I, this whole idea of focusing evangelism on a public event, Scott, is is this an issue for us to... Oh, well, ask ourselves.
2: Very much so, very much. But let me me first step back and say Seventh-day Adventists, these are my people. This is Mm -hmm. my tribe. The language Mm -hmm. spoken is my language. So Mm -hmm. I have no criticism of the Adventist community and the Adventist culture, which I love, Mm -hmm. until and unless we shift our focus from our mission mm-hmm. to ourselves <laughs> and within that mm-hmm. context uh yeah you know we we cannot engage in evangelism in an episodic fashion uh, it, it, that, 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 that that's
0: the, a helpful way of describing it episodic fashion go ahead Scott.
2: i mean it's uh it's it's if you're not living it then, then what are you doing? You know, and why would you engage in it episodically? Uh, here in the Northern New England Conference, one of the two major initiatives that we have to to try and uh, uh, reach the, the the population here, one is church-based, and one is, if you will, non-church-based or or novel. The church-based one is basically uh, cyclical evangelism. In the Church organizing itself, uh, coming up with a number of outreach events, a number of friendship events, the church getting outside of its building, outside of its comfort zone, outside of the uh, um, you know the the church community there, and engaging with the world being a benefit to the world, and at the same time beginning to uh, proclaim Christ. Certainly through their actions, and also through their words and their uh, and and the the love that they show. Because if you're if we're not showing love, unalloyed love, uh, undiminished love, then then how can we be Christians? How can we take the name of Christ, whose kingdom is love? So, where these churches are engaging in cyclical evangelism, you know uh, that uh, and defining cyclical evangelism as engaging in a number of um, outreach events and finding people who are interested in a deeper conversation and engaging in uh, more and more spiritual events uh, and, and m- progressing then to what's called a reaping event, uh, where people are brought to the point where they have an opportunity to make a decision. Do you want to be part of a church, that part of a community, part of a movement that sincerely tries to follow Christ and sincerely tries to proclaim Him? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we can't be episodic. We can't live a life where proclaiming Christ is different and is is bound to a couple events a month. That's not Christ's church
0: yes and uh, Scott I think you're trying to help us with this tension Uh, it's it's not an either or a a public proclamation or an event opportunity is very helpful to some and important um, at some stage in a process of coming to Jesus to all of us it, it may look differently for some than for others my my worry is on two fronts one we have i i feel formed within our culture especially as seen in new england a um, disregard for religion and churches are identified as places for religious people. So I, I feel, and I, I, I think it's absolutely important to challenge my feeling on this, because I could be wrong, uh, a barrier for many whom God loves and desires to be in relationship with. So the idea of church can be a barrier but I think uh, also alongside that, that people can come to know a person and form relationship with a group of people and say, these people have thought carefully about life and its meaning. This this thing of church, this gathering of people is not as bad as I thought, It it's not, kind of fostering a tradition and culture. It is Christ-centered. I, you know, I, I struggle with that. Sean, you work on, on the front lines of that issue. May issue. Maybe a way of, of asking this is, um, do we get involved in asking people questions or answering questions that people aren't asking? And, Sean, what are the questions that people are asking these days?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely we do. And I I just wanted to return to to one uh, point as well uh, on the previous question, uh, just a little anecdote. My church here in Bangor was started in the 1920s, um, and it it started after an evangelistic uh, series here. Uh, somebody put on a series of meetings and in Bangor in the 1920 s and I was doing some research and I discovered that in on the first night of those meetings uh, there was eight hundred persons that came to the meetings and that's just unbelievable which was only surpassed by night two which had eleven hundred people My and it's like, but you know that's that's just Oh, amazing but you know the reality is those days have changed and um i you know and that's not a bad thing that's not like you know i've, I've shared that with some people in the past and they just kind of shake their head and said oh man you don't have any faith anymore and I'm, I'm i just say you know it's not a lack of faith it's just understanding that times have changed and i think of leslie newbegin who's a, a preeminent missiologist he said the primary action of the church is is the world uh, sorry the primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work Uh. and i think one of the challenges we get into when we do event-based evangelism and i think you know we do need to be balanced uh, with it um, but one of the primary problems with that is that it often uh, often our christianity gets outsourced to a single person and our our uh, discipleship and our evangelism gets outsourced to that single person, whether it's the mm. evangelist or the pastor, while the rest of the people sort of don't have to advance in their own spiritual journey, their own theological journey. They can just say, oh, go to the pastor, go to the evangelist. He'll tell you the answers.
0: Yeah, um, that, that's interesting, Sean. continue <laughs> on. But, yeah, you're making me. Why do we say the evangelist yeah we're all evangelists yeah absolutely yeah i think
1: i I think that's you know what god is wanting to do is grow up all of us all of us in christ likeness all of us in our knowledge of of him and so when we encourage and we train and equip our members and our people to all view all of life as as the as the uh, stage for evangelism, then it really helps grow up everybody. But getting back to your original question um, uh, for, from this particular part, I, I mean, w- the questions that people are asking are as varied as there are the number of people. I was sitting recently in a meeting of Jewish, uh, with some Jewish friends at an Orthodox synagogue, and as I sat through that, I said to myself, You know, the questions that we as our particular faith community are asking and talking about are nowhere near what they're thinking about. And so, you know, it depends on the context. If you go to, you know, you're spending time with Jewish people, you're spending time with Muslim people, you're spending time with atheists. You know, I find that all of them have kind of different questions that are relevant to them. You know, that particular meeting, they were discussing the future of Israel. And, um, you know, we you know, we obviously have some views on that, but we're not going to even get a standing with them if we come with our agenda about, you know, Isaiah or Daniel or these other things uh, they, you know, they, they we, we might eventually get there, but um, it's going to take a while. Uh, of course, you know, everybody does have questions that relate to meaning and purpose and, you know, Community and 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 how can I feel uh, some relief from the shame I'm experiencing and and how can I you know interact with people in a way that is safe um, but you know by and large like I said I, I find that there's as many questions as there are people yes
0: well gentlemen uh, the conversation here to move it to kind of a summary. Yes, we ought to always be taking a fresh look at our missiology. It isn't something unique to 2020. Wherever we are in our history of sharing the gospel, we need to be current and fresh in looking at our missiology. I, I, I think you both have brought that out. And I I think another point, if we had more time, that we would describe is one, Sean, that you have just pointed us to New England is distinctly different from the Deep South. And there are people in New England, like throughout the United States and different cultures of the world as you, Scott, would affirm. There are people in New England who have faith in God, believe in Jesus, believe in Scripture, and want to know more about Scripture and understanding it in depth, and they will really grow and and their spirituality be blessed in the process of the um, conceptual presentation of biblical teachings that event focused uh, uh, evangelism provides. So it's it's not an either or. But if there is something to uh, prick our conscience, I, I uh, Scott, you made such an impression on me when you said at the beginning of the conversation, it's Jesus and it has to stay there. So our missiology today in summary uh, in our conversation has to take into its umbrella those who are not feeling positive about religion, not feeling positive about church, quote unquote, and sometimes they're called secular, but it is, as you said, Sean, a tremendous opportunity because they don't have a baggage of tradition and history in which they enter into argument regarding the revelation of Christ they are willing to say, well, in fact, it is the question on the mind of many. Is there a God? God is the question. If there is God, is he really incarnate and revealed in Jesus Christ? Is the historical character Jesus Christ authentic? If he is, what does he tell us about God? Is the resurrection unknown? event. Is it historically true? Now, if that secular person examines that and comes to a point of uh, saying, I cannot deny the truth of the resurrection, I'd better spend a moment reflecting at least on these four witnesses. Well, I should say three witnesses and one narrative account. Of the life of Jesus. And if God is, the Holy Spirit will use that relational context. So, evangelism can be an unconditional relationship in which we have dialogue, conversation, activity, social activity with people who are outside of Christ who have questions about God or don't believe in God, don't believe in the Bible, if we have compassion and engage in service alongside them, they will come to know people who are Christian in genuine ways and then be willing to form community. And I think this is a challenge for us, forming community among people in an unconditional way they don't have to believe in God they don't have to believe in Jesus and in Scripture but if we form community without qualification of their lifestyle then conversations about Jesus and about faith can come from a different space it's not authority talking down to them it's a the relational context and believing can emerge by the Holy Spirit's prompting in Jesus and worship, looking somewhat differently, can come and surface. So I'm just going to ask each of you to give a summary. I've just taken liberty for a summary, and I want each of you to just weigh in on a summary of our missiological challenge today, and then we'll... I'll bring it to a close. Uh, Scott, let's start with you first. Scott.
2: You know, I think our challenge is we, we, we've got this amazing message, amazing message of Christ crucified, Christ risen, and Christ's kingdom of love. We've got this amazing message that the world really needs. Uh, what we have to do, the challenge in front of us is cutting through all of the static cutting through all of the misperceptions uh, that the world has when when a Christian tries to proclaim the message cutting through um, some of our own hang-ups because we've been rejected in the past and where we are therefore less willing to proclaim and really clarifying the message for ourselves and living the message as we proclaim it, we've mm-hmm. got to be doing all of these things at once. It's difficult, it's always been difficult, but the message has never been more important. So, mm-hmm. we do what we need to do.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Scott. Sean, a, a summary sense of this on your part.
1: I don't know if I can really add much to what both of you have so eloquently stated. Absolutely, it's we do have a beautiful, powerful picture of god and i say this humbly uh but i and i just think that yeah we need to learn how to proceed with humility and like you said skip this kind of this posture of of humility you know relating to others uh both serving them in in the uh in the name of the gospel and listening more than talking often um is is a very important ingredient in the process of showing and proclaiming jesus and so yeah just just proceeding you know realizing that we're not going to convince anybody anyway we're you know the only thing we can do is live and testify to the gospel and just trust that the holy spirit will lead people by his grace at his pace into truth
0: is so important for us to be with people as God entered into our experience. I, um, uh, I think it's an important future conversation to talk about what incarnational and missional living, just being with people in a genuine, open way, is.
1: Absolutely, I think that's you know not to add too much here, but yeah, it starts and ends with incarnation. Absolutely.
0: Sean, thank you for joining our conversation today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been really awesome. Wish we had more time.
0: Yeah, Scott, thank you so
2: much. It's been my pleasure, Skip. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: Until next time, keep thinking, keep believing.